In the cinematic sea of prequels, sequels, reboots, and reimaginings, Movie Retakes discusses Hollywood's new takes on beloved movie classics. I'm Big Sully. And this is Matt Sully. With our own opinions and pitches, we address the question, should they make it? Or should they leave it alone? This week, we are going to be discussing the Bill and Ted trilogy. No way! Yes way! And our... I think a shared love of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, with pretty much everybody in the universe uh, since they did save the planet and all of humanity. I think uh, we're all required to love it. The documentary, you mean? <laughs> it's Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just them following around real, real live teenagers who uh, happen to time travel and save all of humanity. I'm pretty sure, the, the- yeah, George Carlin is uh, from the future and... Um, Still living on in some capacity somewhere. Had to be. I mean, who else could have written the uh, the TV rules for what cuss words not to say <laughs> in the exact order that they put it in into effect in the FAA? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that guy was. Uh, he was really smart. Like he's he, he's probably one of the top ten best comedians of all time. Like he just he had a a way about him. You know, that's a big thing of of being a comedian is you have to have. Uh, where when you start a joke or your your voice or your delivery and people without even seeing your face just know exactly who that is. They're like, oh, that's George Carlin. Like I know exactly yep. how he delivers his stuff. And um, I th- I would say that um, Dennis Leary probably had George Carlin as an idol. Um, I don't know what the divide there is in, in time and age, but I would assume it was enough where he had probably seen him at least even if he was getting started as a comedian and, and tried to model himself after that. Because there is some similarity there, except Dennis Leary is just much angrier <laughs> while George Carlin's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> He's able to go on just slightly longer rants yeah. at a little faster speed. But yeah, you're right. I think it's probably like a good 20-year age difference. Yeah. So I could see him growing up as a teen listening to Carlin uh, albums. Yeah. Yeah, There's it's the same comedian. George Carlin smokes weed while... Uh, Dennis Leary's on cocaine, and that's that's the <laughs> <laughs> classic. All right, so uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about Bill and Ted, uh, and that includes Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, from 1989, as well as Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey uh, from 1991, uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, the new Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted Face the Music, uh, as well as give our own pitches on uh, whatever we're entitling our bill and ted uh third installment so we'll start with oh well do we have any uh uh stuff we want to mention we do have a twitter account going on uh at movie retakes yeah so jump in there jump in the conversation even if you aren't a twitter user i hear a lot of people going i don't get it just just follow us and then and then join in the conversation answer questions be part of the conversation and see where it goes yeah, because if you love movies, obviously you do if you're listening to us. Uh, I think uh, you're going to get a lot out of uh, the interaction on there because we're going to be talking about not just our, our podcast, but probably a little bit of snippets here and there on uh, what when we actually go see these movies because uh, the stuff we're talking about hasn't come out yet. Uh, and we're excited to go see these as well. Uh, and they may be great. They may be horrible. But uh, we want to... Uh, uh, do some back and forth with uh, with you and find out what you thought as well as give our own opinions. Because if there's one thing everybody on the internet has, it's an opinion. It's true. <laughs> and they're all worthwhile, right? Um, sure, every single one of them. Yeah. 
Um, so <laughs> synopsis here uh, for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, we're pulling this from IMDb. Two seemingly dumb teens set off on a quest to prepare the ultimate historical presentation with the help of a time machine. That's pretty solid. <laughs> seemingly. <laughs> <laughs> giving a little leeway to the boys there are we if if <laughs> if, if i'm a, a movie producer uh probably I, I don't know if i'd throw money at that but uh but it's, it's a decent description <laughs> uh for bogus journey a tyrant from the future creates evil android doubles of bill and ted and sends them back to eliminate the originals yeah not as good a description but it's uh it does include the storyline Actually, it doesn't. It doesn't include a lot. A lot of stuff that happens. There's probably a better description we should have for that one. I don't want to give away too much. Right. Just, just a little, a little taste. That's, a little something, something. Yeah, avoiding the spoilers, as in describing anything about the movie at all. Bill and Ted's in it. Go see it. Um, so, uh, when Excellent Adventure came out, that was 1989, and this was just a massive year at the movies. I mean, I, I actually remember this year. Um, going to see most, if not all, of these movies, if I could, and or I had to sneak in, probably Lethal Weapon 2. But listen to this. The top-grossing films of the year were Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, which I still would like to say that that's probably the best like trilogy, like third installment of a movie series ever. And in mm-hmm. my opinion, I never saw the um, Glass... Skull, Gus, is that right? Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull, yeah. one of those skulls. Because uh, I didn't want to, because because when I saw Last Crusade, I'm like, yep, they nailed it. That's the ending. We don't need anything else. I'm done. And I am I have the same opinion, actually, about the new one, I, until we discuss whether or not that's going to be one of our... <laughs> one of our podcasts and then i'm forced to go see it which i'm not looking forward to but you know this this will be the thing we're, we're gonna have some movies that uh, we possibly don't really enjoy um also that year tim burton's batman which was just huge i mean this was way before every other movie came out was a superhero movie this and previous to this was what the batman um with uh uh adam west adam west thank you i mean really was that the that was i think until tim burton came and 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 took uh, michael keaton and he became batman i can't think there there was another one before that right yeah i mean they did the the tv series in the 60s and then there were some movies uh with adam west and and um, yeah that's what i'm talking the yeah. kid who played robin i yeah. guess i'm wording that wrong I, i'm saying like before Lord. or after adam west i think the next person playing batman was michael keaton yeah and uh i think that was it yeah that's a big gap there and uh you know this is this is like i say this is not everybody was rushing to go see uh comic book movies essentially superhero movies and uh but this one just got everybody. Everybody loved it. Tim Burton was, did a great job with it. Anyway, this isn't the, the Tim Burton's Batman uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> Back to the Future 2. Uh, now I just want to talk about all these because they're all so good. <laughs> Back yep. to the Future 2. I mean, can you imagine? You go out and see Batman and then you go see Back to the Future 2. Uh, great. Ghostbusters 2, also just massive. Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, that's Dead Poet Society. Uh, also a great Ooh. movie, but maybe a little bit off in its own uh, apart from those sort of adventure action sci-fi blockbusters but you know dead poet society is uh, a spectacular film in its own right um and then 
also on top of that, there were some big family films, Look Who's Talking, uh, which was a big hit um, and very funny. Uh, Bruce Willis did the voice of the, the baby in that one. Uh, mm-hmm. I Shrunk the Kid, or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, sorry, which uh, was also very good. I remember seeing that, and uh, everybody loved that movie. Um, Rick Moranis, like, uh, I'm, I hear that he's supposed to come back for another they're, Shrunk the Kids movie. Uh, they're doing a Disney Plus series oh, is that on right? uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. Ah, it's a series. Okay. But he's going to be in it, right? Yeah, that's the that's the conversation I've heard. That's yep. great. Yeah, he uh, from and I don't know how much is rumored, but apparently he just he kind of disappeared as an actor for a long time, um, which is horrible because he he really was a very entertaining actor. Uh, it was it was he uh, apparently was taking care of his wife who got sick for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So basically, just said mm, I'm done retiring from the spotlight. Going to take care of my family for a while, which you know that's very honorable and. Uh, a wonderful thing to do. Not everybody would do that, uh, but it'll be nice to see him again because he was a he was a great face and a great actor. And um, you know, th- those don't always come around as often as we'd like. And so it'd be good to have him back. Uh, also, The Little Mermaid, which uh, everybody's seen, wh- whether you're a kid or not. Like you saw that fifty, sixty times. Uh, all and and this was the, this was part of that time where Disney was ramping up again, where um, yep. you know, they had, uh, not maybe a bit of a lull, you know, Disney's always been huge, but they, they weren't, uh, they, they were relying on the old classics, you know, pulling things out of the, the vault every couple of years just to basically get, uh, sales again on the old stuff. They were already relying on the Cinderella's and all these sorts of things. And then Little Mermaid came out and what was it? Uh, Beauty and the Beast after that and Aladdin, mm-hmm. uh, Lion, Lion King. King. Oh my God. And everyone was just huge i mean uh, i was mm-hmm. it was it was a big production the animation was amazing they were starting to working in cg and a lot of that stuff and it looked really great um so anyway these these are massive massive movies and then we've got our little bill and ted's excellent adventure <laughs> like <laughs> uh, uh that's a that's a lot of competition and i i, I think it's amazing this time travel movie especially against back to the future 2 got any attention at all uh, unknown cast, uh, but from time period, uh, the month it was released, uh, they weren't trying to compete with the summer blockbusters. Uh, this actually came out in February. Its biggest competitor. Oh. Yeah, that's nobody. Just in time for Valentine's Day. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was looking at what else was, was coming out. I'm like, who is spending their Valentine's Day at the theater with any of these movies? What else came out in February was The Fly 2, uh, which I don't remember that being all that great. I did enjoy The Fly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That was that was uh, uh, very good. Uh, Who's Harry Crumb uh, with John Candy mm-hmm. and The Burbs. And... With uh, Tom Hanks, and you would think that John Candy, come on, Tom Hanks, come on. Uh, both of those should have just blown everybody else out of the water. But Who's Harry Crumb was not a great movie. Uh, I don't. It's just one of those that it's the embarrassing sort of low film that uh, actors have from time to time. The Burbs, while it's a personal favorite of mine, sort of a semi-dark comedy. And I don't think American audiences were really all that comfortable with those types of films as they are now. And even now, uh, 
they're not huge hits. You don't see a lot of those being made all the time. They come out like what every five years. There's a dark comedy that actually does decent. Um, well, you know, people now are always complaining that Hollywood has no new ideas. And looking at that list of the movies that did come out in '89, almost all of those were sequels, mm-hmm. except Batman, Dead Poets Society, and the and the family films that you mentioned. Uh, Bill and Ted filled that need that people may not have been that vocal about at the time and and when they wanted some original content something totally different that's true So maybe that had something to do with it and i guess we're kind of that's a good point because we're here we are again i mean we're doing a whole podcast series on on these retakes and here we were in that year they're doing another indiana jones they were bringing Mm -hmm. back batman uh back to the future leave Mm -hmm. the web ghostbusters they're all relying on stuff that already is established because they're starting to realize that's where the money's going to get made. Like we've already got, you, you poured the time mm-hmm. and the marketing into the first one. So yes, if it did anything at all, we got to make a second one. Bogus journey. Um, <laughs> but so this is February of 1989. Uh, it's worth noting that uh, both John Candy and Tom Hanks and Keanu had movies coming out later in the same year. Uh, so they had, uh, Candy and Hanks had big summer releases with Uncle Buck and Turner and Hooch. So then it starts to make Classic. sense where this is sort of, these are the movies they sort of sweep under the rug. They're going to make a couple dollars, maybe just enough to get their budget back, maybe a little bit more, but they're not, that's not the ones they're worried about. They're going to push out Uncle Buck and Turner Hooch and both did, uh, massively well. And they, they're still great movies. Um, Keanu, uh, you're asking, what did he come out in? Because who is Keanu Reeves? He was in Ron Howard's Parenthood, uh, playing a similarly dopey supporting character named Todd Higgins. Sounds kind of similar to uh, Ted. Ah, yeah, yeah. Todd and Ted. Yeah, and and yeah, and I think that kind of established him as well. Maybe that's just who he is. <laughs> maybe he's not acting at all. And I think for the longest time, uh, that's kind of how people saw Keanu. As a, a bit of yep. bit of a what, maybe not necessarily a stoner dope, but like a California guy, sort of. That's it, you know. Surfer bra. Yeah, surfer bra. Yeah. No way. But um, yeah, that was a huge year. So for excellent adventure, um, like I said, Keanu Reeves. Some people knew him from Babes in Toyland, but. I'd never heard of him. Us dudes no. certainly didn't watch Babes in Toyland. Uh, if anything, Alex Winter was the bigger star. He'd been in Lost Boys two years before. Uh, <laughs> and Lost Boys is a great movie. When's the last time you watched that? Yep. Uh, that's uh, just last year, actually. Yeah, see? It's killer, man. Yep. That's a great movie. Great film. He's not huge in it. He probably has, a what, 10 lines or something, but at least he was in a kind of a big movie. Um, mm-hmm. But mm, not much else after that. He kind of switched over to directing later on. Um, I think I think he's always going to be known as Billis Preston Esquire, and uh, so that's why uh, he's very very happy. I'm sure <laughs> to come back for this third installment. Uh, I mean, before they finally uh, greenlit this thing, I just would joke all the time. I'm like, poor Alex Winters just waiting in the wing, going, Keanu, please, can we do another one? I need to pay the rent, man. Yeah, man, give me something, <laughs> please. Yeah, but he still looks good. I mean, they both look like they're gonna gonna fit the part nicely. Um, George Carlin's probably the big star um, mm-hmm. in this, but it, it, I don't think he got top billing. He's not on the 
cover or anything. Well, you might be on some covers. Um, they did have uh, different variants and stuff depending on uh, where things were released. Uh, one of the things I read that they actually was one of the endings was supposed to be where they uh, were going to go to the prom was going to be the big ending. And there's actually some covers out there where they're all dressed up in these, you know, lame tuxedos. Huh. Um, thinking of like uh, Dumb and Dumber, sort of the, the orange and blue yeah. with the, the ruffles and the, the canes and stuff. Um, but it, In the uh, most famous version of the poster, the one I think of, it's got Bill and Ted like with their arms out to the side on yeah. top of the phone booth. George Carlin's head is on the moon in the background. <laughs> like significantly smaller than the boys. That's kind of sad, but... Yeah, I mean, oh, poor George. Screen time wise, I mean, he's not in there a lot. I th- I'd say they're probably even, really. Yeah. It's probably like, what, 10 minutes or something, if that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was, uh, at the time, though, I think for our age bracket going to see this movie, I don't even know that we necessarily would have known who he was. Like, one of them, mm-hmm. you know, maybe somewhere in the background, our parents were watching one of his stand up acts or something. We, we, we kind of vaguely knew about him uh the director of excellent adventure was stephen herrick uh he had come off critters from 1986 uh i i've seen that a couple of times and i remember it being sort of entertaining honestly i'd have to go back and watch it again um but uh it's it's one of those purposely campy sort of b horror films about little fuzzy well i guess they're basically what tribbles is uh, from uh star trek there uh, but they tribbles with teeth yeah but they, they eat everybody um after bill and ted uh stephen herrick uh went on to do don't tell mom the babysitter's dead in 1991 with christina applegate he did the mighty ducks in 92 with emilio estevez they did the three musketeers mr holland's opus 101 dalmatians uh holy man with eddie murphy and Rockstar with mark Wahlberg, so pretty good that's a good yeah it's good good resume there um yeah i don't think holy man and rockstar were too well received uh after that he kind of trickled off to television but he's not gone he's he's consistently working uh but just doesn't seem to be holding his own in the big blockbuster movie realm anymore so when bogus journey comes out in 1991 this there was no February release. This was promoted as the summer blockbuster, and this goes back to what we're talking about, where build off the fame. I mean, Excellent Adventure did get some notoriety after this, and they're like, we got to keep going with these boys. These, they're going to bring in the cash. Uh, but it went up against Terminator 2. Can you believe that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's one clear time travel winner in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what does that say? Like uh every time it comes out it's uh, there's time travel all over the place. I think we were all falling in love with science fiction. I mean, uh Back to the Future uh when it was coming out with uh, Zemeckis there uh, prior to that uh really got for our age group. Uh we were starting to it was really feeding into to our love of uh sci-fi and fantasy or our building uh love for it. Uh and uh Keanu also had a movie uh out the same month point break that so i gotta pause there for a second the keanu's having a resurgence now but to have two movies of that size come out in the same month 
so amazing. And he's going to have it again this year with a new Bill and Ted, with a new Matrix, and he's a featured character in that uh, Cyberpunk 2077 game and Mm. another John Wick movie coming out. They could all potentially end up coming out within a couple of months of one another. (gasps) Yeah, they will. That's insane. Yeah, especially, uh, I mean, those, yeah, that's going to be massive. I mean, who thought, who would have thought that? Like, I never looked at that guy and been, well, and, and so I talk about this with my wife. I, um, I, for the longest time, I did not respect Keanu as an actor. Like, to me, he was always Ted. He was always dopey and really didn't bring a whole lot of depth to any role. And then one day, we're sitting around talking, and I realized that I've seen, like, every one of his movies. And I really enjoy all the movies he's in. And I, I come to this realization, like, wait a second, I might be his biggest fan. Uh, <laughs> I, I love him. Like, I, I really, like, I, I'll still say that he's not, you know, I'm not going to throw him in every dramatic role. Uh, you know, he's not going to fit in everything. But damn it, I really like the guy. And apparently everybody else does, too. And I don't know if it's him or his agent, but you look at the breadth of his work over his career from playing the surfer bra to action movie guy to like freaking full on kung fu master artist comedian. I mean, he's done it all and he's constantly trying new stuff. I mean, a lot of wins, but then you got some that weren't necessarily so well received like Johnny Mnemonic that uh, was like, like Matrix light at the time, you know? Yeah. It's uh, interesting, his career, to say the least. Yeah, and I, I had, uh, I, was it a video? I can't remember. I think there was a guy that basically did an analysis of Keanu Reeves as an actor. Um, and uh, every interview he ever gave, um, why he's so likable is because he never takes personal credit for anything. Every time anybody compliments him, he immediately shifts to complimenting someone else. He's like, well, I was only able to do that because it's surrounded by amazing actors or the director of this, blah, blah, blah. And he's Smart. brilliant at that. He has a a, a very uh, easy way about him. So when he does speak, mm-hmm. he never gets like overly excited about anything. Everything's very calm. He takes his time in answering and everything. And you just kind of, you, you get lulled into it. So... Um, I, I, and and apparently maybe that's what his acting style was all along. It was not that he was dumb. He's just so mellow and calm. Like it's sort of a Zen like approach to acting where, um, and apparently he was like a Shakespearean trained actor too. I remember somebody saying that and he was in, what? yeah, I, he, he was in, um, uh, Kenneth Branagh's, uh, you remember when he did a, a, ser- a few, few of those different Shakespearean movies, uh, which I enjoyed uh, a lot of those. I think it was, um, much ado about nothing. I think he's in that. Yeah, of course we could, could look it up, but, uh, a, a bit part, I don't remember who he played in there, but, uh, I remember seeing him. So he's actually in, uh, a Shakespeare, uh, movie when I can, Kenneth Branagh's, I think it was Kenneth Branagh's. Yeah. Uh, when not anybody else was doing Shakespeare stuff. <laughs> Uh, yeah that was definitely a niche niche thing for him at the time yeah but he did a great job i mean that's a that's a whole separate discussion but i i enjoyed all those um it was uh much ado about nothing in 1993 nailed it great so i do know a thing or two about movies um there you go so in 91 uh, it wasn't just 
Bogus Journey in T2. There was Kevin Costner's Robin Hood. Uh, Disney's Beauty and the Beast. We mentioned that earlier. Good for them. Like, just bam, bam, right? Robin Williams uh, and Dustin Hoffman and Hook, which uh, people are kind of on the fence about that. But honestly, I really like that movie. I think uh, I think it was a cool... That would have been one of our movie retakes right there. Like, uh, it's a reimagining, right, um, of mm-hmm. how that's handled. Uh, the Silence of the Lambs which JFK, honestly, that was a pretty decent film, but I'm not going to watch it again. I'm not an Oliver Stone fan. Yeah. Uh, The Addams Family, which is uh, a great movie, and that does have rewatchability. Cape Fear with De Niro, another one that would have been on Movie Retakes. That's a a remake there, and very well done. That's Mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese did that. Uh, Hot Shots and City Slickers. So, I mean, uh, diverse, but all made a decent coin. And uh, and then Bogus Journey's right there in the mix with him. Uh, in that, uh, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves are back in their main roles. Carlin's in there. Pam Greer gets some screen time. Uh, the other folks who are also going to be in the third one are uh, uh, Hal Landon Jr. as Ted's father, Amy Stockpointon as Missy, um, which was uh, Bill's stepmom. Stepmom's cute. Shut up, Ted. You know when she was a senior and we were freshmen? Shut up, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Missy? Uh, I mean, mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then in the second one, she's married to Ted's dad instead of Bill's. So, and they have Man. they have Bill uh, played by Patrick McNamara, J. Patrick McNamara. Uh, he's all depressed, and they they like go hardcore on his makeup, where he just looks like he's basically dying inside because his 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 beloved Missy has moved on. Uh, that's a pretty good little gag there. Um, Missy's a whore. <laughs> <laughs> what's that from like tommy boy where uh they're talking about that's when the whores come into town <laughs> like what <laughs> i visited a prostitute once during the war and she won't let me leave it down <laughs> they were talking about missy the whole yeah, time it was just missy she gets around and i think uh, at the end of uh bogus journey there's s- something else uh missy goes and marries somebody else it's one of those like newspaper clippings and i can't remember who it is it, now but... it was uh anomalous oh is that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he won something i guess unless there's a punishment in there there must be if she keeps moving around maybe she broke uh, uh breaks everybody yeah you got herpes yeah exactly <laughs> it's the plague of the future is really just missy um Oof. bogus journey was directed by peter hewitt so we, we move on from Stephen Herrick. It goes to Peter Hewitt. This was his first feature-length movie he went on to direct family films such as tom and huck the borrowers uh, Garfield, uh, voiced by Bill Murray, Zoom, and a TV movie sequel of Home Alone called Home Alone: The Holiday Heist. Oof! Yeah, poor Peter here. Oof! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was trying not to get too opinionated in a lot of this, but uh, yeah, there's not much else I can mention in there where uh, really redeeming uh, films was that uh, even uh, Bill Murray's like in uh, Zombieland. He's like, did you have any regrets? <laughs> Garfield, maybe. <laughs> so good so true yeah um and you know uh, how these are received is reflected uh, if we're referencing rotten tomatoes here excellent adventure got 79 percent uh bogus journeys 54 percent so not quite as loved even though i've seen all kinds of reviews where people were like i liked it better than the first one uh they they think it's it's an amazing movie Again, everybody has opinions. Um, 
for money wise, uh, Excellent Adventure grossed forty point five million against a ten million dollar budget. Nice, nice job there. Bogus Journey grossed thirty eight million from a twenty million dollar budget. So uh, a slimmer margin there. Uh, profit not quite as good. They still made some money, but honestly, I don't know where that twenty million went either. Um, so we rewatched both of these movies. And now we can have some opinions. Tell me what you thought about both of them. Well, I haven't watched uh, Bogus Journey in a while, but I mean, if we're going to do this thing right, we get to sit down and watch them all. So I watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure a few days ago. Still holds up. I still love everything about it. I mean, right from the get-go, right when the thing starts, that music that they start playing, you could hear that from a mile away through glass and go, I think someone's listening or watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because it's so iconic. Just like Back to the Future, that music was so iconic. Yeah. Ghostbusters, they they just knew how to do that in the 80s and the 90s with those big films. I don't know that it happened so much today. I, I, can't, I couldn't tell you another example. Uh, but that got me. Right from the get-go, I'm like, I am in. I am ready for this adventure. All pun intended. Uh, I, I love that. I, I just made a couple of notes as I was watching because I think at this point everybody's seen it. Seen mm. it. We don't really have to drive it home. If you haven't, what's wrong with you? Pause this thing. Go watch it now. Yeah. Um, their research. They didn't have the internet, so they their research was asking people that were walking into the Circle K, or their next plan was to go to the Thrifty Mart <laughs> to get information from people. I thought that was fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, Deacon. Yeah. They had. Uh, they had a younger brother, Deacon. Yeah. What what the hell happened? He's in the movie for like 15 total seconds, and he's not mentioned in the sequel at all. What happened to Deacon? I want to know more about that. And I really liked him as a character. Like, when he's taking care of Napoleon and stuff, that dude's hilarious. Like, he did a yeah, good job. It was he was a good... Like, there could be a spinoff there, but that's not what we're talking about <laughs> today. Uh, I made a note, Missy was an interesting add-in, and I'll get to more when I get to my, my talk about Bogus Journey. Uh, and then I made a big note. I became a Doctor Who fan a few years ago, got into it, and I never really put two and two together until mm. I was watching this again. And I'm like, holy crap, the phone, the booth. phone booth is basically a TARDIS. Yeah. It just doesn't have the space part, only the time part, as far as we know. Mm. And so I looked it up, uh, did a little cheating, I guess you might call a little research, to find out if there was officially an influence. And I think you made this note for us to discuss in interesting facts mm-hmm. later, uh, But so I won't give it all away. Uh, but they were going, the directors or the filmmakers were going to use a different time machine, uh, but decided and changed their mind because it was too much like another time travel film. Uh, then the director, Stephen Herrick, suggested the phone booth, saying it would provide ec- exciting visual nature of a roller coaster ride. Now, I don't think phone booth when I think that description at all. I think he was either a Doctor Who fan or yeah. someone in his family that lived over in the UK was a Doctor Who fan. Because at that time, it was not a big thing in the States at all. Yeah, when did that series start? Wasn't it like back in the 60s or something? Oh, it was 50 years old five years ago. So 55 years ago. Yeah. And it didn't really come to the States until they rebooted it with the Ninth Doctor about eight or nine years ago. Hmm. So it was dead to most of the world at the time when this movie came out. So they probably thought, we can get away with this and no one in the States will ever even know. Right, yeah. Fast forward, we're putting it together. Uh, and then my final note is just Ziggy Pig. Behold, behold, he ate the pig, thus proving that he's they Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy. 
<laughs> I don't know where that whole idea of including uh, Napoleon eating a giant ice cream yeah. uh, and then like pushing the other kids away to lick the remnants off the table. Uh, but I thought that was just brilliant. Uh, and apparently that was a shout out to an actual ice cream shop called Pharrell's. Huh. I, I don't know. They still have that eat the whole ice cream and get it free. Uh, I think that would be pretty interesting. Or get you didn't get it free. You got some sort of like the yeah, Ziggy you got Pick a button. button. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not worth it for a 79 cent button, but okay. No. But all in all, still five stars across the board for me with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, even through poor special effects, even through a, a horrible view of what the future could be like. Like, they they got nothing right. It, it's just horrible. I mean, we haven't gotten to those years yet, but we're going to be far different from that by the time we get there. Yeah. I, I love the movie. I'd happily watch it again and again. Yeah. And Bogus Journey. Uh, you want me to go on to that one too? Yeah. Uh, for Bogus Journey, oof, I made a uh, comment about director Peter Hewitt next to his name. I simply put Garfield because <laughs> of that list of Enough crap said. that he made. That's all that I could see that was was worth noting. Uh, you know, he, he had a pretty impossible task to try to follow up the first. Why didn't they go back to Stephen Herrick? The guy was busy, clearly, but you work around his schedule and you get him back on the project. It would have made a lot of sense. Uh, notes I made on this one. The sets. The sets were over-the-top crazy cool. Uh, when they went to hell, mm-hmm. uh, Satan and that giant like robot mechanical mouth that they, they got drawn into, those uh, the rooms uh, that were like the his, his living room and stairs reconstructed in like almost like a Tim Burton-esque feel. I did pick, yeah. And really. I thought Tim Burton, Wasn't too. that crazy? Mm-hmm. I, I would like to know who set design was then. I, I could see it being a, a Tim Burton. Uh, no, he was too big at the time. Maybe a Rob Zombie who did uh, set design for Pee Wee's Big Adv- or Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, he was not a huge name at the time. He could have been the guy. Yeah. Um, I wrote my next note. Uh, Missy was a whore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, how dare she? Um, Remember when I asked her then, to the prom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the weirdest thing happened. I rarely watch closing credits on a film. Uh, but I thought, you know, I might as well. Right at the beginning of the closing credits, they they go through and they show like the visuals with the big names like Keanu and stuff. But then when they get to the actual scroll, at the top, in a weird font, is written Taj Mahal. Oh. And then everyone else. Yeah. And so I had to look that up. It was not a shout out to the location. No, it was a dude. Supposedly. I don't know if this is verified, but there was a musician named Taj Mahal that was in the film. Yeah. And the theory is that he requested higher booking or higher uh, name recognition uh-huh. than everyone else. And I feel like it was a dig from somebody that was actually doing the closing credits to go, all right, if this dickhead wants to be listed bigger, <laughs> let's put his name in a different font and make it very confusing to everyone and just put Taj Mahal. I mean- where did that guy go on to do? I haven't heard his name since this movie. No, I didn't I, know who he was at the time. No, I never knew who he was. Yeah. I, I thought that was crazy. Uh, and then I have an interesting fact for the film, but I saw you have it in your notes for interesting facts when we get there. Uh, so I'm going to leave that off. Uh, but it, a shout out to one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, all in all, oh. Bogus Journey. I liked the concept a lot. The highlight was death. Death just owned that movie. I just I love what uh, William Sadler did with the character. I love the comic element or comedy element was everything that we love from the first film in one character in the second film. 
Uh, and I, when I heard they're making a third one, the one thing I wanted to know is, does death return? Mm-hmm. No spoilers. We'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll watch this one every once in a while, but I don't need to see it again and again. That's my takeaway. Yeah, I would actually say that I think this may only be the second time I've ever seen Bogus Journey because the first was enough. Um, excellent adventure. <laughs> Obviously, I love it. Uh, I may have a whole bunch of notes on it, uh, but I, I, I think uh, it's there is some nostalgia in that. I mean, when it came out, I would say that it was it was made for us, like uh guys at our age uh, budding if not existing teenagers it was wild funny mixed with sci-fi and fantasy tones that kind of spoke to our imaginations imaginations and it was uh, pg so you know our parents could drop us off mm. uh despite george carlin being in it which may be part of the reason they didn't promote him as a huge part of it because then parents would be confused and think it was an r movie uh you know with sex and violence and everything but the this was it was just couple of idiots go on a sci-fi adventure uh what's wrong with that and so uh that was a big part of where we you know talking about what else was coming out at the time they were all adult movies for adults and this was i think kind of a movie for kids you know like um they always talk about star wars was was a movie for kids and that's arguable whatever but uh i think kind of this was it was supposed to be simple um these guys were innocent uh almost wholesome in a way uh they there was some mixture in there of you know uh with missy especially being you know sexual or whatever but they never really showed anything and the violence was was not really violent it was all campy sort of stuff um and and so i think that there it was um it was kind of a basic movie that everybody could enjoy and kids could watch it uh and it was just a lot of fun. I think Stephen Herrick was the right guy to make this movie. Uh, and I, I go on a little bit, like I, I, I'm i looking at him as a director. I think he's a good director. Like I'm watching this movie from a directing standpoint. I'm like, I like everything, all the choices he made. Yeah, there's some uh, stretching with the 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 graphics at the time you know the the uh what can you do like there's only so much that you can push and i I even like some of the stuff it it feeds into this whole you know our vision of of time and and probably like the internet later on with like weird science where everything's just things that are passing by in some chaotic sort of you know (laughs) manner uh and then the future like you said yeah it's all there's only so many different futures that everybody sees and one of them is always this like everybody's in silver jumpsuits or whatever i don't know why silver is the color <laughs> of the future but it seems to be i guess it's like a uh uh some sort of nod on uh neutral neutrality uh, amongst everybody where nobody has a color you know we don't see color anymore everybody's equal and um <laughs> but you know uh but i think i think stephen herrick did a great job because uh, I, I look at his other movies so he, he, he takes Keanu in this movie. In Don't Tell Mom, Babysitter's Dead, Christina wasn't a big name. She was in the middle of Married with Children, which was in its own way turning television on its head with the Fox network. This was a brand new network and nobody <laughs> remembers that we were actually around mm-hmm. to see this new network come on. And it was uh, it was raunchy, lowbrow comedy that spoke to teens again. And so I, I don't think... At the time, teen voices were as respected as they are now, especially from like a money money generating perspective. Um, but 
we were starting to have uh, an impact uh, 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 at least at the box office and um, you know the TV shows that were coming on and that's where we could uh, sway uh, the influence where this is who's watching and we're actually getting some real numbers for this stuff so I, I totally see how uh, Excellent Adventure became a big thing and, and demanded a sequel even if the sequel sucked um, so I, you know, like I, anyway, I see, I think Stephen Herrick's uh, uh, pretty good on this, and uh, and he made good movies with people that were either low tier actors or people that were low stages in their careers, um, and uh, that's where I feel Peter Hewitt, who did Bogus Journey, fails miserably. He manages somehow to strip the quirky charm from Bill and Ted, where they're being dopey and saying these things, and I, I picture kind of like um, you know how like. Uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen, their scripts, especially like Raising Arizona, where it's these it's these people say these sort of intelligent things, these phrasings and stuff that are so clever. And then when you have them with their terribly like southern accents or whatever, uh, saying these lines, it's even that much funnier. And I think that's that's a huge part of why uh, Bill and Ted uh, make this so good and then for whatever reason and it's got to be the director you have to everything goes up like he's the last person to be blamed like everything it is your fault it doesn't matter what else happens the director is to blame if a movie is no good and uh because you're supposed to oversee everything and somehow he he takes all that charm that was there in the first one and he just squashes it like it's just not there and yeah the story is ridiculous but so was the so was excellent adventure the story is ridiculous for that like uh yep. I, I never would have who who would have guessed anybody throwing money at either of these movies? Um, for me, yeah, I don't know if we're doing we're gonna give ratings every time or whatever. But excellent adventure, I'll watch anytime. It's it's got high rewatchability. It's still very entertaining. Bogus Journey is just a sack of crap. It's just not good. <laughs> there is William Sadler as Death um, is great. He did a great job. I like William Sadler a lot, and he did he did a lot with that character. Uh, I don't really care for the little spoken rap at the end or whatever. That was pretty lame. Um, but uh, he's great in it. And uh, I really enjoyed the the end, the rock anthem by Kiss. Like, um, oh, uh, yeah. God make rock and roll for you. Uh, it's really catchy. I was even singing it today. Uh, and Kiss has that ability. They They know how to make a rock anthem. Um, but that's pretty much it. That's all the movie's got. Uh, and I won't say Keanu or Alex are, you know, at fault here. Like they just didn't, there's just not much to go with. Um, but yeah, there's not really much happening in there and I do not recommend watching that movie. (laughs) Watch Excellent Adventure, but don't worry about Bogus Journey. That's gonna, that's gonna fall in line with those, those sequels that we just won't talk about much anymore. Well, I got a question for you now. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but uh, when it comes to watching sequels to a uh, a movie or movies where there are many, uh, like I, I'll bring up Fast and Furious because that's one of my favorite franchises. I feel like if you're going to appreciate the current one that's coming out of the theater, you had to have seen the others hmm. or else you're not getting the full picture. So t- for someone who may have existed and never seen either of these two films with a third part coming out, could they effectively watch 
excellent adventure, then go to the movies and be okay with seeing the third one? Or should they go see the second one merely from a information standpoint so that they're when they go to the film, they're armed with all the stories so far? No, because I think Bogus Journey has no value in the story either. Like, what really changes? It's like, so Missy goes and marries some the other guy's dad. Uh, but after that, what? They, they basically end up... Uh, I guess, really, it comes down to the ending. Is that, yeah, they go through some peril and they come back. They get together with their girls again. Uh, so, I mean, they set that right. Uh, the villain has no real importance at all. He's a footnote. The big thing that actually happens, where this is the only important part, uh, that might not even factor into this third one coming out is that they finally get to the point where they become as famous as they're supposed to be. They finally reach that point mm. where they become Wild Stallions. They finally get good at guitar. They become this band that does, we see in the newspaper clippings in the closing, uh, where they go on this big tour. And, and even in, in before the closing, it shows... Uh, all these different clips from people around the globe celebrating because they're all forced to watch uh, their concert and it unites them finally. So humanity is saved. And so that's the big thing. And I'm not even sure if they're uh, in making this third one, if they're honoring uh, that as well. But that's it. Or will they retcon it like other directors are doing to other movies in a, in a trilogy or a franchise? Yeah, but but I, but I will say that uh, even then, you don't need to see the second one because they reference them eventually becoming the saviors of humanity through their music in the first one. So you can go into this third one and it could have already happened and you're like, oh, great, that happened. And we didn't need to see anything about it. We already knew it was going to happen. So it was an inevitability. So we didn't need this second one. It's just a misstep. So yeah, you can comfortably skip it. Watch the first one. Go see the third one. I'm, I'm guessing that you won't be lost at all. I, I pretty much agree with you, uh, and I wasn't trying to set you up to disagree with you, but I pretty much yeah. agree with you across the board, except for I think it is important to understand the relationship with death. That's mm. a weird statement to say out loud. <laughs> uh, and, and then also, at the very end, and I forgot about this, and spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, uh, <laughs> when they come back after their, what did they say, it was like 18 months of intense guitar training with, with, the, uh, with the babes, yeah. um, they have... They have a Bjorn on their back, and each of them has a son, yeah. not a daughter. Yeah. So just remember that little tidbit for when we get into the conversation about what we know about the third uh, film in the franchise later. Right. Because I think that's going to come into play, or will they somehow ignore that and just piss us all off because that was shown and then not talked about? <sighs> yeah. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that one. But we don't have to wait and see what happens with our own pitches. We have each written our own ideas for what we think this third installment could actually be or should be or what we at least would like to see. Okay, um, I'm not going to tell you the title of this right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, no, this time I will. I'm normally going to hold on to these. Uh, but since we already know a third one is coming and the title has been revealed, mm -hmm. I didn't give a separate title. But also, before I give my pitch, I did not read the synopsis of the new one. The only thing I know is that the title is Bill and Ted Face the Music, mm -hmm. and I know that their daughters come into play, and I know Death Returns. Sorry, spoiler alerts. I know all those things, but I didn't read the synopsis. I haven't been paying attention to any of the screenshots or any of the filming because mm -hmm. I didn't want to know. I want to go into this one blind for the first trailer. So here is my pitch for Bill and Ted Face the Music. 
Um, I would if I had to pick a director, I'm going Robert Zemeckis on this. Mm, I, I was thinking I want about him as well. someone who knows how to handle a time travel film and knows how to handle comedy. Mm-hmm. I think he'd do a wonderful job, like he does with almost all of his films. And here is my pitch that I did I did write out so I could get this right, but I'm going to read it for you now. Uh, for Bill and Ted's third act, I would play off the quirkiness of the first film, but with a little death added. That's what the second film was intended to be, but it sadly didn't hit the mark the way the first film did. Fast forward to current day where Bill and Ted have begun to fulfill their destiny as the rock stars that bring the world peace and prosperity. Their children, one boy and one girl each, have been raised in fame and fortune and have no regard for what their famous fathers had to put in motion or what they are destined to achieve. Since the families live so close together, the children, now in their late 20s, have already been in plenty of trouble and are basically never going to leave home. Threats to send them off to military school, a (laughs) shout out to the previous two films, had little to no effect and neither Bill or Ted was really going to follow through on these empty threats. During this time, the time-traveling phone booth had been hidden on the estate of Bill's house without their knowledge at all. In fact, Rufus had planted it there and left a note that the boys should have understood but just didn't get what it meant. So they've had it the whole time and they didn't even know. And the daughters find it while searching for something to steal and sell, something they had done quite a few times uh, for their, let's just call them uh, extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. They're bad eggs all around. Without any knowledge of what the phone booth was capable of, because Bill and Ted didn't want them to even worry about this. They hadn't explained it to the kids. Uh, The girls accidentally time travel to San Dimas, 1989. Mm -hmm. The phone booth is damaged upon their arrival, and they are stuck in 1989. Their first thought, being the bad eggs that they are, and they're fans of true crime podcasts, is to track down Ted Bundy, who they both thought was pretty hot. Oh, God. Ted Bundy is played by Andy Samberg. Huh. I, I've taken a turn yeah. with this already. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Bill and Ted find out that their daughters are missing, and at just the right time, another upgraded version of the time-traveling phone booth appears to help the boys track down their daughters. It's got to have been sent by someone. We'll think Rufus, although he can't be in the film. Changes have already started to occur, a la Back to the Future with the photo. Uh, based on the, the meddling of their daughters in 1989, and the boys have already pieced together where their daughters went, so they follow them back to 89 in hopes of undoing the mistakes of the girls. During their trip to 1989, they bump into their old friend Death, who was there to take Ted Bundy down to hell. They got there just a little too late. The girls had already visited, and using their future knowledge, had freed the psychopath killer. Since Bill and Ted hadn't technically met Death yet, they have to spend a good five to ten minutes of the film convincing him that they actually eventually get to know each other really well and prove that he can trust and help them. So, you know, because 1991 is when they met Death. 89, they hadn't yet. So we got to go through that whole thing again. There's a good shtick there, I think, where they've got to, you know, convince him. Eventually, Bill and Ted, along with Death, track down the girls and Ted Bundy, but not before making some pit stops along the way, running into other famous folk, including a young Anthony Kiedeston Flea, who were in dire need of some words of encouragement in 1989. Hmm. Death takes off with Ted Bundy, and Bill and Ted take the girls back to present day. I got a post-credit scene, because that's just tied up a little too neatly for a trilogy in this day and age. Uh, post-credit scene reveals that Ted Bundy actually beat Death in a game of Operation <laughs> and two other games because he has to do best three out of five and returned to Earth where he went back to his old ways. 
The girls, having learned from their mistakes and now fully believing that time travel is 100% real, load up the phone booth again to chase down Ted Bundy. This sets up the possibility of another film or, and I'm doing a double pitch here, we know we're getting the trilogy, we're getting a third film, but I think this is prime for a series Hmm. where the girls are tracking down Ted Bundy using their knowledge from all the uh, serial killer and true crime podcasts that they listen to uh, to apply what they learn and track down the serial killer. You don't need to have Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves in the series. Yeah. They could pop in every once in a while for fun, but this just totally is the setup for a series based on the trilogy. You could very well be right on that too. Like uh this is this is at the point where it is, you know, passing the baton and and it could be that these uh the their daughters end up going with it and um yeah, could be a series, it could be just a basically starting the franchise all over again with a whole new excellent adventure um you know it could go anywhere from there yeah there's some cool stuff in there i like andy sandberg being in there but i I like him a lot he's a lot of fun so him as uh, a serial killer would be funny um yeah that's cool i i I think we'll talk probably more um about about this sort of general sort of trouble that time travel movies get you in They're they're a lot of fun but at the same time it's you know, what are the rules? You know, what you, you, you try and establish this. And I was trying to figure that out while I'm watching the first two because they, there is points where Rufus is like, well, you have to wait, you know, until it's time. And so they were trying to match it up to where the years at least, and I think in the months and stuff, basically there's, here's the future. It's what, 600 years or something in the future? Uh-huh. But it's happening at the same time as this moments in the past. So you have to only do these things at these certain moments. But then the rest of the movie has weird things where they can travel in any time uh, the rest of the time. So I don't really get it. Like, I I didn't understand exactly what the rules were. Um, So um, I kind of just ignored everything uh, as I was writing my own here because I don't know. I don't know because because we learned that in Back to the Future, right? Like you you change the past and then it's going to ripple effect. And I like that. I think that's that's smart. And I'm always thinking about that. I think most people think about that with time travel movies, but this didn't seem to, the Bill and Ted series didn't seem to be as concerned about how they're going to mess up the future by changing things in the past. But then they know that the the whole point was to send people back to change the past to fix the future. So what is it like the, I don't, and, and it's fine because it is goofy, right? So I think the, the rules being, uh, more guidelines and not rules is, is kind of what they're after. I I had a similar debate with myself while I was watching those first two. I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't remember them having to specifically go at a certain time. So wait a minute, are there rules? Were there was there a section where they explained the rules and then they cut that out when it went to the theater? Can I get the director's cut? Because I want to know what those rules were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it it does change things because then you you're adding drama too like you you say well you have to do it by this time and then you know so then there's because that that's the thing as soon as you say it's a time travel movie it doesn't matter what you do like so what if i screw it yeah. up i'll go back and do it ten thousand more times who cares so yeah the that takes the pressure off but if you add those rules where you have to do it right this time because there's a small window uh then that amps up the drama, but it didn't really they, necessarily seem to fit that. 
they even play with that a little bit. They're like, dude, after we win, let's just go back and we'll put the cage and the gun. Yeah. And like, yeah. yeah. It's like, no, that makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do one before the other, bro. <laughs> All right. So here's, here's mine. Um, I think we're both, and it seems to be a pattern with us here. Maybe it's just the movies we've been covering, but it's, this is a true sequel. It's the same time frame and everything. Um, that yours yours goes off into a series but you start with the movie itself so same sort of thing here it's been 30 years since bill s preston esquire and ted theodore logan went on a most excellent adventure and a very bogus journey where they eventually prevail over evil and actually having learned to play guitar effectively set right the circuits of time and save humanity now, after touring the galaxy three times over to generations of fans across hundreds of years in the future, they've come back to Earth to realize their children are grown and they are just two aging rock stars who have disappeared within the shadows of their own fame. I like this concept where uh, now a, a rock tour can actually go across time where they can, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, they kind of mentioned too going to like the Mars station in, in the second one. Mm-hmm. After the final concert of the tour, ending in their hometown of Sam Dimas, California, Bill and Ted take a long-needed break at their favorite bar. We see the pair at the Old West Saloon, where they blend in with the crowd. There's no fans, no autographs, no screaming, just bar fights and cards and whiskey, and they couldn't be happier. It's here where, after fulfilling all their lifelong dreams, Bill and Ted decide to retire Wild Stallions. Upon their return to the present, however, they discover their sons have disappeared. So we have some similarities there. Bill and Ted's time-traveling phone booth was long ago swapped out for a custom ship capable of sending the guys to any place at any time instantly. The trouble is, Bill and Ted have no clue where or when to look for their kids. As Bill and Ted investigate their son's disappearances, speaking with their ex-wives, the princesses, and the boys' friends, we discover just how distant Bill and Ted have become from their family and how little they know about their children. Bill and Ted Jr. turn out to be just as dopey as their fathers were at their age, but also the pair hate their dads. Worst of all, they hate wild stallions. No way! When Bill and Ted pinpoint the moment moment (laughs) their sons were kidnapped, they thwart their abductors, who turn out to be actual aliens, and no, it's not going to be Station. If you remember Station from the Bogus Journey, is this weird... (laughs) Station! Yeah, that was terrible. The aliens inform Bill and Ted... That it's Bill and Ted Jr. who saved their species from annihilation. Bill and Ted Sr. tell the aliens they've got the wrong Bill and Ted, but the aliens scoff at the old-timers vowing to take the boys back to their planet. When the boys disappear again, Bill and Ted restart their investigation only to discover that their sons were kidnapped years before. Dads Bill and Ted go back in time and perform their old time travel trickery to save their boys, only to have them kidnapped at younger and younger ages. While rescuing their sons over and over, Bill and Ted visit several moments in their kids' lives, so many important moments they missed while away on tour for so long. At one point in their time-shifting rescues, they have a baby, kid, teen, and adult versions of their kids in the ship all at once, and it's total chaos. Finally, the aliens kidnap both sons and fathers and take them to the alien homeworld. We find out that this alien race has been at odds with a neighboring species for years and they think that music is what will bring them together just like what happened on earth with wild stallions bill s preston esquire and ted theodore logan let the aliens know they'll put on a final show to help save their planet and their sons they travel back in time and bring musicians from the past including their old friends beethoven and eddie van halen and put on an incredible concert it's amazing the greatest show they've ever had but the concert's a failure the aliens are still divided, and it's Bill and Ted Jr. who suggests that it's not just listening to music that brings people together, but creating it. 
Bill and Ted try jamming with the aliens, but the strange instruments and sounds of the warring species sound awful, and even are too harsh to blend in the background of the awesome dual guitars of Wild Stallions. They're at a loss as to how to fix it until Bill and Ted Jr. begin to play the alien instruments and their fathers discover the boys are natural musicians, just with a different sound. It's then that Bill and Ted understand what the aliens really need. Instead of a collaborative concert performed alongside humans, they help the aliens bring their own disparate sounds together. The two alien species put on their own concert, uniting their separate people, essentially becoming the Wild Stallion saviors of their own part of the universe. Bill and Ted bond with their sons, and before returning to Earth, apologize for being such absent fathers. They promise to do better, not just in the future, but the past. We end the movie with Bill and Ted going back to those same moments in their sons' lives, teaching them music, helping them practice for school performances, and finally, as fans attending a concert of their son's now-famous band, Wild and Free. And that's the name of the movie, Bill and Ted, Wild and Free. And so it's both sets of Bill and Ted's, his father and son's, and uh, all that sort of dramatic, touching stuff. Um, I have some notes uh, just where in the middle with all the campy sort of comedy rescue stuff, there's probably some gaps in story there. I was thinking maybe there'd be like an alien love interest for the two sons, um, and uh, they could mm. they could fight over uh, her until they discover the aliens can make like duplicates of themselves, and they both end up with her. Um, there was also uh, my wife suggested that maybe one is uh, one of the sons, one is a son and one is a daughter. So like Bill has a daughter and uh, Ted has a son, and there could be a sort of they've spent so much time together they're not related, but maybe they'll end up together. So but they don't, you know. But there's you know that sort of thing. So it could be kind of fun with mm-hmm. that. Um, and uh, I think what I read from the uh, trivia of Bogus Journey the. The babies, now, granted, they were actors <laughs> as babies, but they were both girls. And um, so the whole play off of the thing, I think, which they do in the third one is, you know, Billy is like a girl's name or whatever, and Theodora or something, you know that. So it, it doesn't really matter too much as far as if they're boys or girls. I think it can work either way. For me, I just think that um, there's always this sort of thing with fathers and sons and passing on the legacy and them being actual named junior but there's a separation of you know they don't truly they were they were basically just looking at their sons in a certain way but never really actually being their their fathers you know so that's the thing that actually needs to change in the end where they realize that they're their own people and their own musicians and uh being fans of theirs essentially um i like it I like the way you went uh, more universal. It became way bigger than just Earth. I think that's fun. That's a nice element because we did get introduced to Mars in part two and the fact that there were beings there. So why limit it to just the two planets? Yeah, because what I wanted to do, I was was trying to drill it down into the basics. Is like the first one covered history. The second one covered death, really, and then sort of dipped into, um, you know, uh, intergalactic travels and then i thought the third one why not aliens you know so we'll just throw aliens in there so i thought it would kind of round out all the crazy concepts uh in there real quick um so i would obviously bring uh alex and keanu in for the sons i was thinking of uh, daniel radcliffe as keanu's son i figured with a, <laughs> a healthy trim of the eyebrows uh, there are some vague similarities there and i'd like to see him play a dope you know um i think it'd be a lot of fun to see him play just a real goof um i 
almost wrote his name down as Ted Bundy. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. That's funny. Yeah. I've seen him in some, in some other stuff, and uh, I, I really like him. I think he's actually pretty good. Um, now, bear with me on this one. But for Alex's son, I want to try Jack Gleason, who played Joffrey Baratheon from Game of Thrones. Uh, he's, oh, He wow. shares some visual similarities, but this kid needs an acting facelift because everyone hates him. Like, they hate him, and I'm sure he gets, like, punched in the face when he walks down the street, and I think there might be something (laughs) more to him, and this is his chance to be seen as something other than Joffrey, and I think playing a complete idiot would kind of reset audience perceptions of him. Um, We also, uh, in discussing uh, with Vanessa earlier, um, Joe Keery, which I don't know too much of him, but I I do like him and what I've seen him in, and then uh, if we're going to do... Uh, a girl as one of them, uh, maybe Chloe Grace Moretz as uh, Bill's oh. uh, daughter, because I could totally see her just being a, a total idiot and, and having some fun with that. Um, for director, I did consider Robert Zemeckis, but I actually thought that in a way that's a hindrance of him already handling time travel, where we'd be too, we'd all be mixed up in the same expectations you know we'd want to we'd see back to the future and even if he didn't intend it you know uh so i'm actually going with ben stiller i think um he's mm. he's uh if you remember i mean he's 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 actually got a fairly diverse uh background with directing going all the way back to uh cable guy and uh so he's able to handle like some interesting cinematic looks comedy and drama talking about dark comedies i mean uh, cable guy was not well received but if you watch it again it's very funny and it's very good and everybody in it's really good uh, but i think he could handle all of the goofy as well as like the the drama in there okay so- yeah that, I, I could see that too he is a he's a good director i think he's not often looked at but as a director but he definitely has been yeah no he's yeah i've always enjoyed him as a director i think he's good and he's in, he usually plays in most of the movies he's in, uh, he directs. And yeah. uh, that to me seems impossible. Like, I, I don't know how you do that. But maybe, maybe it's easier for them because they already know what they want. But I don't know. That seems like it's adding so much more to to the trouble of being a director. There's already so much to manage. Okay, so we did our pitches. Uh, now we're going to actually talk about the new movie, the one that's actually been made. Um, this is Bill and Ted face the music, which I really like that title. I think it's a good title. Um, Mm -hmm. it's set to release on August 21st. Uh, so not, not too far from now, uh, 2020. Uh, and here is, and (laughs) what you mentioned earlier, I think is the only information out there. Um, there is not much. Really? I don't think there's a trailer for it. Um, and there is very little information and they've done interviews on it and stuff and that, and they just have not said too much. Uh, about what it's what it's really about so the only uh description right now is that uh once told they'd save the universe during a time traveling adventure two would-be rockers from san dimas california find themselves as middle-aged dads still trying to crank out a hit song and fulfill their destiny and that's why i mentioned earlier like i i don't know that they're even honoring the second one because it could be argued that even though they were a huge (laughs) hit they didn't they still didn't make the song that saved humanity, but ah. it's pretty strongly implied uh, by that ending in Bogus Journey that that's exactly what happened. 
Yeah, I would between their eighteen months of intense guitar training and then all those <laughs> clips and magazine covers and stuff they show during the closing credits. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, there is some similarities. Uh, I mean, obviously we're gonna we, we know they're dads. So and we talked about they're gonna be daughters. We know that much, uh, not sons. Uh, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson, who did write the first two, also wrote this script which I think is important. I like that for continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you never know whether, you know, I'm sure when they wrote the first one, they didn't have this idea that this is going to be a trilogy. But when somebody writes something, they have all these concepts that come into their minds, the bigger picture mm-hmm. sort of stuff that don't make it into the script. And so I think, you know, having these guys as the writers at Ken is going to give them an opportunity to bring in those bigger picture sort of ideas. So I think that's a that's a plus. Uh, Keanu, Alex, William Sadler, like I said, are all going to be back. Um, so there you go. You got Death. He's going to be back again, which eh, I don't know I, if it's a minor sort of thing. But if he's there the whole time, I think that joke's going to get old. I think uh, I don't think he will be. Yeah, I'm hoping it's it's minor. Uh, Amy Stock, uh, Hal Landon are both back, so that's Missy and Ted's dad uh, in their roles. There's some new folks, Kristen Shaw, Samara Weaving as Bill's daughter, Thea, and Bridget Lundy-Payne as Ted's daughter, Billy. Now, Samara Weaving I did see in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, and I didn't watch I didn't watch the whole movie The Babysitter, but I did see some of it. And from what I saw, I think that's probably McGee's best movie, if not his only good one. <laughs> um, uh, was that the horror one on Netflix? Yeah, I thought... That was a good movie. Yeah, from what I saw, I was like, this is kind of fun. It's exactly what it should be. It'd be stupid, yeah. sort of fun. But yeah, she's the. I think she's the babysitter. She's the main one in the baby... That's the babysitter in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea who Bridget Payne is. Uh, from what I looked up on IMDb, she's she is an actress, but she's also like a fashion model or something but probably we're entering into an age bracket here where i'm just gonna not know who anyone is but they could be the most famous person in the world right now (laughs) and i'm just not gonna know i do know Kristen shaw um yeah uh everybody knows her as louise belcher from bob's burgers um which i didn't even realize until i was looking it up they got a movie coming out uh a bob's burgers movie is gonna be coming out later on yeah no kidding yeah so huh. I, I'm looking forward to that because I love that show. It's hilarious. Um, she's in, she's just insane. But um, and she, yeah, and she's uh, mostly does voiceovers. But uh, she, if you remember back on uh, um, Fly of the Concords, she was their one fan. She was, <laughs> and uh, she was fantastic. Like she was just stalking them the entire time, and she was hilarious. That was that was where I. She first was saw on. Fox uh, Last Man on Earth too. You're right. Yeah, and I like yep. that show. That was, she was good in that. that yeah, she was mm-hmm. good in that. That was a funny show. Um, there's some other good folks in here: Holland Taylor, Jillian Bell, Beck Bennett, Anthony Kerrigan. All very funny people. Um, they've all been kind of. Well, I mean, Beck Beck Bennett's on SNL. Anthony Kerrigan's on um, uh, Barry. Uh, Jillian Bell's done uh, quite a few different TV things. She does a lot of voiceover stuff uh, as well. Holland Taylor's been around for a while uh, in uh, in all kinds of uh, mostly supporting roles, uh, but all very funny people. Uh, Dean Parasot is directing this one. 
Now, he's done a lot of television, mostly comedies, going all the way back to Reading Rainbow from 1988. Uh, wow. Yeah, uh, been around a while. Uh, he also did Get a Life, if you remember that one, Northern Exposure. These are all the television shows from the time period. Um, for movies, he's done Home Fries in 1998 with Drew Barrymore and Luke Wilson. And you'll like this. It was written by Breaking Bad's Vince Gilligan. Yeah, so... Nice note. I never saw that, but now I'm intrigued. Uh, fun with Dick and Jane in 2005 with Jim Carrey, Taylor Leone, and Alec Baldwin. I didn't see that one either, for whatever reason I skipped it, but now I'm kind of interested. It's all right. Uh, ratings are pretty decent. Um, he also directed Red 2 in 2013 with Bruce Willis, Helen Mirren, and John Malkovich, uh, which was pretty fun. Uh, it was a good little action movie. Mm-hmm. And... Galaxy Quest in 1999 with Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, and Alec Rickman. And I put that one last because it's an awesome movie. <laughs> I'm I'm a big fan I mean, of if that you're, movie. If you're looking at resumes on something that aligns, Galaxy Quest is perfect. Like, I trust the guy who directed Galaxy Quest Me to too. do a Bill and Ted movie. Me too. Because I think it there's, there's some... Hard to explain, but I, th- I think there's some overlap in kind of this campy drama parody sort of thing that mm-hmm. is exactly what that movie's about and exactly what the uh excellent adventure is and i think that's what bill and ted sort of encompass and uh, yeah i for that alone i think uh well now we can kind of talk about uh our expectations what do we think about our ideas what do we think about uh the ideas for this movie i know there's not a lot of detail but based on that I'm intrigued. Right. I, I'm definitely intrigued. I'll definitely see it most likely opening weekend just because of what Bill and Ted has meant in my life. I mean, that is just one of those cornerstones of film that, that will always be there for me. I I don't like the idea that they would retcon away what happened in two. Even if it wasn't a great film, I think you got to honor what got you there. And it seems a shame, unless they can explain it away with more time travel, which I hope they don't. Uh, I want a good explanation as to why we're looking at two daughters. And if the sons aren't mentioned at all, I'm going to be really pissed. Uh, I'll probably still enjoy the film. Uh, But uh, I don't know, more than anything, and this is always my argument. So as long as we do this podcast, people will hear it over and over again. (laughs) I just want more of of the story. Mm -hmm. I want to see more of those characters that I love. I want to see more of the universe that they're a part of. I even if it's crappy, just to be able to see a little more is almost always satisfying. Exception Anchorman Two. That's mm. something I'll reference a bunch as well. Mm. Uh, but it's very rare that I leave completely disappointed. I have a rule that if I paid for the ticket or rented it or whatever, if there were at least one aha moment in the film, whether that's special effects, acting, storytelling, whatever, if I get at least that one moment, then I'm not upset that I took the time to watch the film. And I hope they deliver on that. I think... So I think that there are... A couple of things, like basically lessons to be learned from Bogus Journey, uh, and I'm hoping they did learn a few things. One is that I I don't want to see a rehash of the same jokes. I don't 
I don't want him to mention military school again. I don't want him to mention Missy again, actually. <laughs> I just, I think we can comfortably move on. If those are like one hit things somewhere in the background, like you're just passing over it, uh, fine. But I just don't want it. And honestly, uh, coming back to them as these characters is incredibly dangerous because I do think there was a charm that existed in the time frame of Excellent Adventure that I don't know that these guys are going to get again. It's incredibly risky. And so, honestly, if they're going to do this, well, they already did, but uh, in doing it, I would make Bill and Ted minor characters in a way where we're talking about passing the baton, where they're in it for the intro, and then we are introduced to their daughters, and then they are basically the bulk of the movie. So we get new characters. Um, um, cause I don't, I don't want to see death again, actually. Like I loved William Sadler, but I just don't see how he's going to fit in. I don't want it to be a revisiting of all the things that we remember from the first one. I just want, I want something new and I, I wouldn't mind if we just saw all the daughters and I don't care if it's boys versus girls, whatever. Um, that's fine with me. I don't want it to be the same thing. I don't want it to be the same story. I don't want the same jokes. Uh, I want something new. And another thing that needs to come out of this uh, where, uh, like I said, I like the the ending kiss song, um, but I think what they hoped for and never got to really was that the whole point of this is that, and, and it's a joke in the first one, but the whole point of this is that they eventually become amazing musicians. So, I want amazing music in this movie. And I know that's a hard yep. demand. You write a movie around that sort of stuff, and you're like, the, the script writer says, awesome song here, or whatever. And you hope that, that it is an awesome song, and it probably won't be. But if they can, I would like this to be a, mo- a movie that everybody leaves singing like three of the songs, where they're like, man, that was a great song when they did that. And you have to end with a humanity saving song. Like it's gotta be like the best song that's ever been written for a movie. You, I don't think you can do, I don't think you can introduce a song that's supposed to be that song. I think you always have to avoid actually playing that song. Well, yeah, because it's impossible, but that's what I want. It is. (laughs) That's what I want. I want a great song. You made some good points there. One of the only things that scares me is the idea that you title a film, Bill and Ted face the music, but Bill and Ted only play a small part in the film. As a moviegoer, I will get it, but I think the majority of the population would be pissed. They'd be like, I paid for a Bill and Ted movie, and instead you gave me Billy and whatever her name was. Yeah. Uh, Thea. I, 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 think, I think they've got to be in a majority of the film, at least 51%. Well, so for me, I think it's going to be one of those things where it's, here's what we wrote. And in theory, this should be fine. But when you get on set, after you've filmed a couple scenes, you have to gauge the chemistry. And if and if Alex Winter True. and Keanu Reeves don't have it anymore, because we see Al, uh, Keanu in a whole different light now. Alex will always see the same. He will always be built. Yep. But Keanu is a different man now. Like, we don't see him as that same character. And I will even say that it will be hard for him to get back into that character. and express it properly where we believe it. So I think uh, there's a few ways to handle that. One is where immediately we just see them as more mature men, and they are not actually 
like that anymore. Maybe every once in a while they get drunk and they just do stupid shit. But for the most part, they've grown up. And yeah, if they've grown up and you handle that properly where we're not expecting them to be total, you know, stoner dopes or whatever they're, they're supposed to be, the California surfer guys, um, then yeah, that'll work for me. But if they are, if that's what they're trying to write in, if that's what they're trying to deliver and they don't deliver, boy, it's going to be bad. No, it's a valid point. They can't they can't be the same characters. They had to have evolved or changed in some way. All right. Hopefully a big way. Yeah, I agree. I th- and And you're right about the music too. Mm-hmm. That's something I was thinking about. Like I, I mentioned in the first one how I love the opening song that was really more the um the soundtrack, not music. Not not a, a artist's music like we'd listen to on the radio, uh, and then the second one there were a couple times like Primus played mm-hmm. and um, th- like you said with Kiss and there was I think there was a, a Faith No Faith More no song because yeah. they even referenced Faith No More, mm-hmm. and but I was like oh you you guys almost got it like we needed four more songs like that throughout the film and it would have been epic. Yeah, I remember when uh, it started and because I honestly like I said this is probably the second time I'd seen it. Uh, I, I didn't remember a lot about the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And when uh, the Faith No More guy came on, I was like, oh, is this going to be kind of one of those movies where they've got musicians sprinkled in and we get a little taste of music and stuff? Because that, uh, that wouldn't be too bad. And I'm wondering if that they thought they might go that direction, but then they just didn't. Because it's weird to suggest that here we have these different yep. entertainers, but then they don't actually, <laughs> you know, Primus played a song. I think that's... But- I don't know. I think that's exactly what happened. I bet. I bet there were a bunch of scheduling conflicts and agents and all that that got in the way of having really cool like Guns and Roses and Metallica and all these different bands who were hot at the time in there. Yeah, I didn't see any of that in the trivia, but here's here's some of the things that we did find. Uh, the characters of Bill and Ted were created and played by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon in improv theater. Originally, it was Bill, Ted, and Bob, although the third character was eventually dropped. Matheson and Solomon had described Bill and Ted as an idealized version of their friendship. Bill and Ted equals Chris and Ed. Uh, in the original improvised pieces, Ted was described as having a stoner pseudo-intellectual older brother. This was changed for the film, although Bill's stepmother, Missy, did make the transition from theater into the film. Huh. Yeah, pretty neat. Interesting. Uh, in earlier drafts of the script, Rufus was actually 28 years old, and historical fil- figures Bill and Ted plucked from history included Charlemagne, whom they referred to as Charlie Manger, <laughs> Babe Ruth, and a non-famous medieval person called John the Surf. John is actually listed in the credits? <laughs> what? That's crazy. It's oh, yeah. like the octopus and Goonies. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, here's here's what you mentioned uh, or alluded to earlier. Originally, the time machine was to be a 1969 Chevrolet van, but the idea was nixed as being too close in concept to the DeLorean used in Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah. And considering they came out and the second one came out in the competing year there, that would have been uh, people people would have probably had some words about that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, according to Alex Winter, filming in the phone booth was so unpleasant that he and Keanu Reeves nicknamed it the Death Box. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. You know, they do those oh. jokes where you cram a bunch of people in there and then they actually seem to. And this, <laughs> I don't know, that had to be awful. Um, oh. The phone booth time machine was given away as a contest prize by Nintendo Power Magazine, which was promoting the video game Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I. 
Oh my god. Can you, who has that? That's what we need to have done is track down who got that. Cause some That would be awesome. Some kid you know th- would have got it. They sold it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it's in a museum somewhere. Some rich person has it. Uh, interesting side note before we go to the next one. I went to a hidden bar in Los Angeles last year or year before. Uh, it was at this really swanky hotel. In order to get into it, you had to go into the alley behind it, behind the dumpster. And there was actually a, a bouncer there. And they would let you in. And then you went down this long hallway. And there was a vending machine, like an ancient vending machine. They would open that, and that got you into the bar. It was so badass. But in the bar, there was another level. There was a phone booth in the back corner and very dim lighting. But if you looked on top, you could see the antenna from Bill and Ted that made it into the time-traveling phone booth. And if you got in and shut the door, another door opened behind you that led to a secret karaoke room. No. That's too It was badass, man. Oh. All throughout the place, they had uh, VHS, uh, the clamshell cases, had the menus inside them. There were entire walls of cassettes that had been put up like tiles and then uh, laminated huh. over. I mean, the place was super cool. That but that cool. phone booth in the corner, I wonder how many people just thought it was a phone booth. They yeah. never looked up on top. I, I instantly went. I was like, oh, shit, it's the yeah. phone booth for Bill and Ted. Oh, man. I wonder if it's the one that that kid won. Yeah, it could be. That calls for <laughs> some uh, air guitar. Excellent. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on with fun trivia. Uh, for years, Keanu Reeves lamented that his epitaph would be, here lives Keanu Reeves, he played Ted. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Like, that's how I always saw him for years, right? So it was hard to yep. to see him transfer. Now, now I think the majority of people see him as uh, uh, John Wick or uh, Neo, but they don't, they don't even think about him as uh, Ted anymore. Johnny Utah. So I guess he... <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, uh, so he moved, he moved on pretty well. Um, Joss Ackland, who played the villainous former gym teacher Chuck Denomalos in Bogus Journey, wasn't a fan of the film. He later admitted only taking on the role because of a bet with a family member. <laughs> That's a weird thing to do for a bet, but hey, he got paid. Yeah, I'm assuming he uh, lost a- the bet. Yeah, you'd think, right? <laughs> uh, in an early draft of Bogus Journey script, Rufus was the villain. What? I would, How would he have pivoted? I don't know. I'd like to read that, though. That'd be interesting. Ooh. You know it's out there somewhere. Yeah. Bogus Journey was originally named Bill and Ted Go to Hell, but after fearing the word hell may offend American audiences, the title was changed to something less sacrilegious. Eh, I can see that. Uh, despite being the biggest band in glam rock history, face painting obsessives Kiss only ever scored two UK top ten hits. The first... Crazy Crazy Nights reached number four in 1987, while taken from the Bogus Journey soundtrack, their second, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, peaked at the same position four years later. That's nuts. So I don't, <laughs> the only thing I don't know is if they wrote that for the film or it just happened to come out and they they did it for the film or not. I don't know. That's a good question, but this was at a time, I think we talked about this when we were doing another one of these, uh, where they would always have a song customized for the movie. Hmm. Right. That just was a standard at the time. So maybe. Yeah, could be. I mean, they didn't. It's not one of those really lame songs where it like worked the word bogus the or title into the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it uh, it is a good song. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, originally, the plot was to have Bill and Ted visit and accidentally cause all of history's greatest tragedies. Uh, this is excellent adventure, including the sinking of the Titanic and the crash of the Hindenburg. I kind of like that. I, 
I do too. I wouldn't mind seeing that version of it someday. But maybe if they rebooted it, that could be a, a concept. The problem is though, like it's funny to a point, but then you realize how how many hundreds of people died <laughs> at their hands, and it's not so funny anymore. So it needs to be true uh, tragedies that somehow nobody died. I don't know if there's any anything like that, but yeah, interesting. Uh, Principal photography was completed in 1987 for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but the film's original financiers, uh, De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, went bankrupt. The film was in danger of being dumped onto cable television until Nelson Entertainment bought the rights in 1988 and released it in 1989. God, what would have happened if that had gone straight to cable? It would have never been a thing. Yeah. Well, and... And I've heard that before, uh, different movies and stuff, where the movie gets made, and then, because there's a whole process that people don't really understand, and this is part of what happens at, like, the con film festivals and stuff, uh, where they make a movie, and then they go and shop it around, essentially. So a, a bigger production company then basically buys it so that they can promote it and make it a huge success. So the movie's already done, but they may not have the budget for marketing and all that sort of stuff. So they could release it, but it wouldn't be a wide release, big blockbuster thing. So then they have to go on from there. And then other companies just, uh, the whole company's struggling. Um, and, uh, and then it's uh, you know sort of in the hands of fate after that. That's what happened to Cabin in the Woods, right. uh, Joss Whedon's film. It got made and sat on a shelf for a couple of years, but Chris Hemsworth rose to fame in those couple of years, and it got a whole new life after that. Well, I think, wasn't it uh, The Crow uh, had been made, and um, it uh, it was not going to come out. Like, basically, everybody involved just said, nah, this isn't going to work, and uh, and they put what? it away. And it was, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Winston. Brandon Lee, Zedmore, um, oh, uh, that got it. Uh, that got it funding finally. Ernie, no H- Ernie way. Hudson, yeah. So I, I think Ernie Hudson went around, especially after Brandon Lee's death, uh, and uh, was a big advocate, saying, "You've got to put this movie out." And if you remember, um, it wasn't. It wasn't even completed. There was these different scenes where you could tell that it was like Brandon Lee's yep. uh, put into the scene, you know, or whatever after the fact, um, because. I think they basically stopped production. It was close to being done. It was like 95% wow. done. And then he died. And I th- it could have been a respect thing where they're like, well, we just, I don't think we should put this out. You know, he, he died during uh. the making of this. So, but then Ernie's like, no, this, how more do you honor this kid by putting the movie out that he died making? I mean, and it's a great movie and I'm glad he did it, but. Amen. Sad, but yeah, somebody had to be. Uh, leading the the front to, on the fight to, to get that put out. Uh, and then finally in trivia, in 2010, the city of San Dimas, California, San Dimas High School Football Rules, celebrated 50 <laughs> years of incorporation. The celebration slogan was San Dimas 1960 to 2010, an excellent adventure. That's awesome. That is rad. Way to embrace it. Yeah, that's like, uh, that's what pisses me off about uh, Philadelphia taking the Rocky statue down. Like uh, they they moved it or something, but you, oh, you know, moved it. Yeah. famously it was up on the steps there at the top. But they moved it to some other location. I'm like that's sacrilege. It's, man. it's actually it's still in the same area. It's just down the steps, lower to the ground. I don't know why they would have moved it. it. Doesn't make any sense to me. That's silly. I want to run up those steps and I want to throw my hands up just like Rocky. I did it. It was fun. 
<laughs> yeah, and then I realized there's a lot of steps there, and even though I was in shape, it still hurt a little. Yeah, I never would. I never would have made it to the top. I'd be like, yeah, is there like a Uber or somebody can a rickshaw take me to the top or something, and then I'll uh, I'll just stand you, up. It was a weekday when we went, and that place was packed because of Rocky. Everybody was up there, and the statue there was a line of like sixty people long. So you go up and, and take your photo. And of course we waited because you don't pass that opportunity up. All right. So on uh, next podcast, the movie retakes is going to talk about Top Gun. Because as you know, Top Gun Maverick, the sequel to the original Top Gun, will be coming out uh, in this summer. And uh, so we've got to go watch it. I've got the need for speed. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of something to say, and all I could think of was, excellent! Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> all right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this is Matt Sully and my big brother, Chris Sully. I was waiting for him to do his own. <laughs> and we are the brothers, Sully, and this has been Movie Retakes. Thanks a lot for listening. One, two, one, two, three, four! Do get better.